This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means that you are listening to a, an episode of the Crowncast. But unlike all the other episodes of the Crowncast, today it's going to get frisky. Uh, and I mean it. Uh, I want you to know I don't usually use words like frisky, I feel like it makes me sound ridiculous. But we are genuinely going to be talking about some stuff today that may have some adult language. We're going to be talking about some stuff today that may not be viewed positively by the uh, general public. We are going to be talking about the referees. So this is your warning. We want you to know that if you are in the car with small children, it might be a good time for you to consider another episode of the Crowncast for you to enjoy. If you're in the car with uh, maybe your in-laws and you want to impress them, uh, maybe they're football fans. This is the episode you want to talk about because almost all football fans hate the referees, but maybe they're not football fans, and then maybe you want to switch it up as well. I think that I have probably given you enough time for you, uh, wherever you are out there, you dear listeners, to decide for yourselves whether or not this is going to be the podcast for you, but we want you to know it will most likely contain adult language and will have some negative connotations to it. So... We are re-going live in three, two, one. And if you are still with us, I get to introduce my beloved co-host and man who universally hates all referees. It's Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. Uh, as the Charlotte FC fans say in the subreddit and everything, let's fucking go. Let's fucking go. Uh, you know, again, if uh, we, we like to give multiple warnings here. If you still have your children in the car with you, there's nothing we can do about yeah, it. Now that you one, know we're not the, joking, we, right? Um, we gave you the warning, and then we went in two feet, studs up, and the officials still didn't call anything. Yeah, actually, honestly, I don't even think we're going to get a yellow card for that. So I, I guess we just get to keep doing it, yeah. right? Uh, it, it is one of those things that we get to, to sit down and talk about the officiating over the past uh, season uh, across 2021 and 2022. Um, I almost said 2021, 2022, but, you know. No, time it was is, all calendar t- year 2022. Time yep. is hard, yep. Justin. Time is hard. It is a flat time, circle. maths, yep. language, sciences, all that stuff is hard. But we have uh, continually had this back and forth between the two of us where we leave a game, and, Justin, you uh, have pulled out a small sledgehammer <laughs> of language <laughs> We're not going to talk about the actual sledgehammer. Nope. I tend to come home heated. Yeah. And and I am always the one that, like, I'm I'm in between you and the referees. I'm the one breaking it up. I'm the one being like, hey, no, we're not going to fight today. Yep. Uh, And and I have a couple of good reasons for that. One, uh, like I said before, I don't think it's smart to do this talk immediately. I think both sides have to let themselves cool down before it becomes productive. And two... I don't want to give the team an out, right? I don't want to be able to say, hey, Brant Bronico, whom we love and is a friend of the podcast, you are off the hook because you played bad today because the ref made a bad call, right? We, I don't want to give the team a, a reason to blame others. I want them to always do what is within their power. But the team is not playing anymore because it's the offseason. Yep. So we don't have that excuse. And... No, it's just time. 
it's, it's time. time. It's time. It is time. We've waited long enough. We, we've we've let it stew. We've let some of the immediate anger pass. Mm-hmm. And it's time because so there now, are some egregious decisions. Now what we have is the bubbling, waiting anger that sits and, deep in our souls, Justin. Oh, absolutely. But not just about, you know, the officiating, but we're going to restrict it to that for this one. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, I didn't get that memo. What is going on? <laughs> Please. I think there's an overarching message here that we're going to call out some some individual moments in some individual matches across the course of the season that we think highlight some of the issues. Indeed. This is not just about these moments. These are just indicative of the problem. These are symptoms of the bigger issue. And it's not an issue that is is restrained either to the performance of the officials when Charlotte FC is involved. Those are the ones we're going to talk about because as a Charlotte FC podcast and as Charlotte FC fans, those are the ones we care about. But officiating across the league oh, yeah. is bad. Yeah, uh, I can't even block you this time. Officiating across the MLS is questionable. These I are, am more inclined to be polite about these guys than, than you are. Here's why I think it's, it's inexcusable. These are not guys who have day jobs and then do that. These are professional. This is their job is to be officials for MLS. And when it's your job, I think there is an expectation that you do better. You know, if you look at the NFL, a lot of the guys that are there, they have day jobs. Famously at hockey, Lee, one of the most famous mm-hmm. NFL refs. For those who don't know, it's the NFL ref with the enormous biceps. He's a lawyer in his day job. Yep. They have normal jobs. But, you know, these guys, these MLS officials, they don't. These guys, this is their job. This is all they do all the time. And because of that, the expectations have to be higher. And I think it's fair to say that you would expect, and maybe, uh, Justin, you can tell me if I'm wrong. I look over to our wonderful operator, Taylor, uh, as though she is going to correct me. Uh, Justin, maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, That is, if you have a professional in something who dedicates their professional time to the thing. And that thing has clearly stated and defined rules and regulations that uh, are to be upheld regularly, let's say on a once-ish a week basis, that after a number of weeks doing these things, a professional would be capable of knowing those rules and regulations and then would be capable of applying them, yay, once a week. Do you feel like that's all fair? I think that is fair. Great. We have set what I would like to call a baseline. Yes. And uh, we we really do mean it. Like, we're going to say some things that probably aren't super nice, but come from the understanding that these guys are professionals and the rules of football aren't that hard. Now, there are some spaces in which we have to acknowledge that there is room for interpretation, right? Unfortunately, not all people in the world are good. And if you need proof of that, please look to the New York Red Bulls. Um, uh, that, that is a, a, a shot at the New York Red Bulls, but it is also a true fact in that the New York Red Bulls play a style of football that is very designed to piss off opponents. Their objective is not to go out there and play the beautiful game. Their objective is to go out there and abuse the rules to the point that they get the score that wins them three points in what was the beautiful game. And referees have to deal with this crap day in, day out. So I want to make one statement, because I'm sure there are going to be some referees who listen to this. And 
I want to make one statement very clear. Being a referee is a shitty job. Yeah. It is on its best day, a day where 50% of the people in the huge, monstrous stadiums that you are refereeing in hate you. Right? Because the first response of a bunch of drunk people is going to be, well, we didn't win because we didn't get the calls. The first thing they're going to do is look at where there's any gray area. And for most people, that's all they need. For most people, they're not going to go beyond that that first area of gray. They're just going to say, you know what? Here was this one call, and if we'd gotten that one call, we would have won, and that referee's a fucking dickbag, and we hate him forever, and I hope that he never gets to referee another game in his whole life. And it happens. It happens from... The time these guys are refereeing high school matches where uh, parents are, if you've ever talked to a teacher, monsters. (laughs) Uh, And and it goes all the way up until the professional leagues where a call can go mildly the wrong way in an otherwise completely fairly mentioned game. And these guys get death threats. Sure. And Um, in some cases in other leagues around the world actually get killed for bad decisions. And so, so I want to make one thing very clear. We're not going to do any of that crap here. We're not going to go off on these guys for stuff that's not uh, intelligently constructed. We're not going to go off on these guys for stuff that is a, a 50-50 call that goes one way or the other. We're going to be talking about stone dead, how does this get missed, refereeing decisions that need to be addressed. And you'll find Justin and I are not afraid of uh, one disagreeing with each other we've done it on a number of podcasts so if we don't necessarily agree with the same calls we'll call each other out and i I do think that you act as a pretty good check to my balance or you're the balance to my check i I don't know i i don't it's one of those it's one of those things so uh like i said being a referee is a tough job uh you either leave with half the stadium hating you or with the entire stadium hating you and there is no better than that but they are professionals and we do expect to hold them to a professional standard have I gone on long enough, Justin? Do you want to go? Do you want to get into this? Yeah, I mean, so so you know, to Logan's point about the refs being hated several times over the course of this season, both when Logan and I were were in the stands as fans, when Logan was in the stand, I was watching at home, when we were in the press box, the the chance of ref you suck rang loud through Bank of America Stadium and in the vault. Echo, echo, echo. There were bad decisions. There are also a lot of decisions where the, the, the crowd, the fans, in the heat of the moment decided that it was a poor choice. In review, you know, maybe they weren't. What we're going to try and focus on are some points that, that, for the most part, you know, cost Charlotte FC some points over the course of the season uh, as it went, and that looked particularly egregious. And so we're going to start actually by taking you back all the way through the mists of time to the very first Charlotte FC match. Justin, are you using using our patented time machine? Yes, we are going to travel back months and months to the very first Charlotte FC match (laughs) where we didn't have Daryl Swiderski, we didn't have Adelson Melanda and Nathan Byrne and Nuno Santos were but figments on the world stage of football far, far away from us. Uh, And we started under Miguel Angel Ramirez in an absolutely wild 3-5-2 you know, 
it was all over the place. Um, I don't know how many people remember, but we actually had the ball in the back of the net first in that match. We did. I believe it was a TD Ortiz. It was TD Ortiz on a header from Alan Franco. I feel very good because I literally pulled that out bunch of my of, brain. Bunch of players <laughs> not with Charlotte anymore. Yeah, I, I did see, and this is a bit off track, but I did see that there is actually, like if you look at the starting 11 from the first yep. game to the last, None of them are, are oh, still there. Christian Kalina. <laughs> oh, was Christian Kalina? Yeah, Christian Kalina. Well, Christian well no, because I guess I was looking at one that uh, no, had Kalina Pablo Cisniega uh, starting. Oh, I thought Kalina started that one. Oh, no, no, no. I think Kalina started the first one. It doesn't matter. Yeah. We're getting off track. Justin. But uh, there are a couple in that match that are particularly egregious. That TDRT's chance gets knocked off for offside. It probably was... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. That was offsides. It was... It was I by by purely eyeballing. I'm not going to let you get away with this. My only thing is I didn't get to see the 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 shot straight down. I didn't get to see lines or anything like that. But more egregious, the first goal they score is a penalty that is called because they claim Brent Bronico handles the ball in the box. This ball is fired at Brent Bronico from not particularly far away. We'll call it maybe yeah, maybe two yards, maybe three yards away, and. To every replay I have been able to find. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, because we're in America. That's roughly three washing machines. Yes. Yeah. Uh, to every replay I have been able to find, this ball hits Brant Bronico on the upper arm. And, and for those of you who may not know, football generally works on what's called the T-shirt rule. If it hits your body on the areas that uh, are covered by a short sleeve jersey, it shouldn't be a handball. If your arms are in tight to your body when it hits you or in a natural position, it's not a handball. Yeah. There is no world where I can see in the replays where this ball hits Brent Bronico in a position that it is a handball. So handball is one of those calls that gets a lot of flack across all of the leagues. For those of you familiar with the famous hand of uh, God goal <laughs> in South America, Go look that up if you have not. It is a thing. Um, <clears throat> handballs have been misrepresented basically all throughout time, and there really has not been a better way to officiate them. That being said, the gray area is not what we're talking about here. We would not have brought this to the table if this was a gray area thing. This is pretty much, in my opinion, black and white. And... There is a gray area argument for this particular one. I remember watching it with you, Justin. And that is that you can see Brant Bronico doing his best to get his hands out of the way, turns his body, you know, he sort of drops his right shoulder back and turns his left shoulder into the ball. And it's difficult to tell whether his left arm and shoulder connects the ball as he's turning it in or whether it just skims past it and hits on his interior arm and in between his chest as it goes by. But either way, he is actively removing his arms from the, the play, and neither one of them is in an unnatural position. Um, it is not Brant Bronico stepping out with both his arms out wide, going, ooh, I'm a keeper, you can't get past me, right? Like, Brant Bronico is not doing some sort of gimmick to stop the ball with his hands. And it's so evident in the replays. And you can see the difference. I think that there's this thing in football that we call the clear and obvious error, right? 
is it clear and obvious? And clear and obvious, as we have learned throughout many leagues, means very different things to very different people. Yep. Um, but this is one of those times that handball struggles because if you can just kick the ball into someone's hand and it's a handball in the box, there would be 100 penalties a game. Yes. Because these guys are professional athletes. I, as a average high school soccer player, football player, am capable at the distance between Justin and I right now of picking up a football and kicking it into his hand, right? That would be the way goals were scored in football. Yep. So it has to be this. It has to be an intentional, clear and obvious handling of the ball in the penalty area. And I do not understand how on earth any rational, intelligent adult could look at that play and go, yes, Brant Bronico, in the act of clearly trying to stay away from a handball, has clearly and intentionally handled this ball, especially when it wasn't a particularly dangerous attempt, and Kalina was right behind him with full vision. I mean, it was going to go over the bar. Like, Um, it it was high. Uh, it, stuff like that frustrates me. And that's the sort of stuff that uh, we see that all across leagues where rules are not applied evenly. And I think you probably have a pretty good example yeah. of how this is not applied evenly. So shortly after, in the same match, uh, a, a DC United player is, they're, they're going sort of left to right in front of their own goal inside the box. And there is a shot that a Charlotte FC player takes. And I will apologize, I don't know which player did this because it never makes the highlights. It's amazing how those questionable calls never make the highlights. um, This is a shot low and behind the, the DC United players. They, you know, go left to right in front of the goal. They're inside the box and they try to slow down to, to get in the way of this. And in the act of slowing down, their arms kind of slide out behind them and below them. This shot is passing under them and on frame and it hits the hand away from the body of the D.C. United player in the box. Now, do I think he deliberately put his hand there? No. But in terms of handball, it's in a more unnatural position, and it blocks a shot that is clearly on frame, more clearly with the hand. You can see, I remember the original replay very clearly, you see the ball contact his hand, and you see his hand recoil because it just got hit. It never gets called. It doesn't even get looked at by VAR. And if you're going to call something that looks as incidental as Brant Bronico's looked as a handball in the box, for consistency's sake, you have to call a handball like this one against DC United in the box. On the third shot, or on the third goal that DC United score, there's a cross. The ball initially gets saved by Christian Kalina. And uh, the striker for DC United, Kamara, the ball pops up, and again, there's no slow-mo replay to, to get a better look at this, but every visible angle that's included in the highlights shows the ball popping up and coming off of Kamara's elbow and directly into the goal. Again, there has to be a degree of consistency to these calls. You can't... The, the most aggravating the most frustrating and the worst thing an official can do is to call the game differently in different situations if you're going to call it like when you play new york red bulls if you're going to call a foul every time a red bull player falls down okay i don't agree with it but 
you have to call it the same way for everyone. So I'm going to step in here because I think there's a, a, a player who, <clears throat> whether we like it or not, got a really bad reputation with the refs. And you may have heard of him, <laughs> little dude named Carol Swiderski. Yep. Yes, the uh, Polish uh, sniper. Yeah. The I, I have heard Polish pistol. I've heard Polish assassin. I've heard Polish sniper. I've heard Polish dude who plays football. Uh, I, I'm not sure which one of those he prefers. I think it's probably the last. But he, in the early season of this league, got known for just sort of tumbling over. Yeah. And referees looked at him and went, uh, "This is the MLS, buddy. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to get more than breathed on for us to to call it a foul." And while he went over easy, he went over in areas that were actually fouls. He would shield the ball with his uh, body, and then he'd get pushed in the back and he'd fall over. Uh, we see this uh, called all of the time across different leagues in the world. Yep. But here it wasn't called. It was almost like the referees got this absurd notion that Carol Swiderski had just decided to play by a different game. And then there are a number of instances where Carol Swiderski just gets absolutely murdered and gets nothing for it. Yep. And, and I think part of that's on Carol. Uh, I think, you know, abusing the referees should come with penalties. Yes. Right. But if you're going to officiate Carol that way, why aren't you officiating Red Bull this way? Yeah. Because Red Bull falls over because it's a day. Yes. Right? Red Bull doesn't even need there to be another team on the pitch. And it's one of those things that, again, we talk about this standard of consistency. And this goes back to if you're a Premier League fan, you, uh, you know, regular listeners will know I'm an Arsenal fan. If that was Granite Xhaka, right? Every time that Carol Swiderski has gone over this season, if it was Granite Xhaka who tackled him, they'd be giving a red card to Granite Xhaka. <laughs> but if, again, we're talking about the Premier League here, if it was Harry Kane, who is the England captain and the, you know, the big English striker for the English league, Harry Kane can go through people with a bazooka. <laughs> uh, I mean, Harry Kane can make tackles with an intent to injure, and they go, eh, that's the English captain not even a foul, right? It is the is the lack of consistency one way or the other yeah. that becomes a problem. So uh, I, I think the biggest area we saw it in, as far as like players are concerned, is Carroll. Would you agree with yeah. that? It's, it's Carroll and then, you know, some of the play from other teams. I think the other thing that officials are inconsistent about, and, and this is across MLS again, but we're going to highlight one particular match, is they do not always protect players. They, uh, can, can I get in on this really quick? Yeah, they. they I, I just want to say they do not always control when, when matches start to get chippy because that happens sometimes. Teams get mad at each other. Tempers start to flare. You start to see some more difficult things. It is the responsibility of the official to pull that back. And the way you do it is by giving cards. The way you do it is is you start calling more of those fouls, you start keeping players from doing the, the chippy action, and if they keep it up, you start booking them because that's what pulls it back. I This is one of the few areas I'm livid in. And uh, for those of you who have not met me, it takes a lot to get me angry. 
And I mean a lot. I am not a fighter. I'm not somebody who wants to call people out. I am not an aggressive person. I'm the type of person who's like, hey, let's all be friends, even if, even if it means everybody sacrifices, right? Like, that's me. And the moment a game reaches the point that, and, and I'm not going to, like, absolve Charlotte FC because Charlotte FC has done it wrong in this. The moment it gets to a point that players feel like, well, the referee's not going to protect us, so I'm going to kill the other guy so they don't kill me, there is an egregious, and I am choosing my word carefully there, there's an egregious failure of ability in the referee's position. Yeah. Because there have been, and Justin, I tried my best to just think about the times I looked at you in the media box and said, I am concerned for the safety of the players. Not the Charlotte FC players, the players. Yep. And if there is going to be a place that I am most pissed off at the referees and want them to never get the right to do their chosen profession again, it is this. Yeah. Um, there have been times, and I went back in my memory and I counted four of them, that I have looked at you and I have said, I am concerned that somebody on the other team or possibly Derek Jones or Brant Bronico. Well, or back in the beginning of the season, TD Ortiz got called out several times. Oh, by yeah, us. TD Ortiz, yeah. Um, for questionable energy. I don't have any problem. And I struggle with this, right? Because if you're getting beat up on, I want somebody on your team who's going to take it to the opponents. Yeah. I, I want that hockey player mentality guy of I'm the protector of the rest of my team. And if you're going to go slide in hard studs up on our technical little midfielder, I'm going to lay you out so hard you don't know what Tuesday is anymore. Yeah. Because you have to protect your teammates. But if a referee allows it to get to that point, it is an egregious failure of duty. And uh, there have just been too many times in this season that I have seen the red come down over Brant Bronico that I yeah. have seen the red come down over Derek Jones, that I have seen the red mist come down over T.D. Ortiz. And in most of those occasions, I don't put fault on those players. In most of those occasions, I put fault on the fact that there have been four or five intentionally dangerous tackles, Yeah, and somebody was going to get hurt. And I think the, the most egregious one that we're going to call out here is the match we played against Austin FC. And I don't know if anybody gets the chance, anytime you watch a highlight package from MLS, they show the opening kickoff. Nothing ever happens. But they show the opening kickoff because, hey, it's the start of the match. Something happens in this one. So Andre Shinyashiki is this in the center circle, has the opportunity to, to be a part of the kickoff. Um, kicks it off, immediately passes it away, and is immediately, as soon as the ball is gone, hip-checked in the center circle by an Austin FC player who makes no attempt to play the ball. It is the official's responsibility. I don't care if this happens in the first five seconds, which this does, or in the 75th minute of a match. But if a player goes in late, makes no attempt to play the ball, and takes on an opposing player, that player has to be booked. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I'm just going to say this really quickly because I want to start moving through actual issues. Um, and that is, you're absolutely right. Uh, there is this mentality amongst referees that if it happens in the 65th minute, it's a red card offense. And if it happens in the first 30 seconds, it was never a foul. And I get it. You don't want to destroy a game because you don't want a whole 
you know, 90 minutes of play to be essentially unbalanced and unfair because somebody did something stupid early. But if somebody goes in and and does something that is a card-worthy offense, the time has to not matter. I don't care if a Charlotte FC player does something dumb. And Justin, you know me. The way I do this is I turn it around, right? If Charlotte FC did this, would I be pissed? If uh, Carol Swiderski goes studs up through somebody in a tackle that is three seconds late and had plenty of time to pull out of, Carol Swiderski should get a card, if not a red card. Yeah. At four seconds on the clock. And if Charlotte FC goes down for 90 minutes because of Carol Swiderski's idiocy, and this is Carol Swiderski is a hypothetical here. We're not actually saying Carol Swiderski would do this. But if a Charlotte FC player's idiocy creates this situation, you know how this self-regulates? Everybody else on, uh, on Charlotte FC hates that person. And I mean this politely. That has to be self-regulated in the team. Yeah. Right? It cannot be regulated by the referees well, by adjusting the way they make calls. They, but, but we have to demand the consistency. And, and this match, the, the problem in this match is it sets a tone yeah. that nothing is going to get called. And it results in entirely too much dangerous play throughout this entire match by both teams. Both teams end up flying into tackles. Both teams end up leaving a foot in late. And the, the problem with it is it's not about whether or not you win the game then. It's about whether or not a player manages to finish a season. These types of tackles, when an official doesn't keep control of the match, that's when you end up with somebody who tears a ligament because of a late tackle, who breaks a leg, who breaks a foot because of a late tackle. These are bad situations, and, and they don't get managed there. Um, you know, I think you mentioned earlier, Carol Swiderski, we can always mention, or, or we should mention, in the last home match of the season against Columbus Crew, I think maybe in this case, we talk, you talked earlier about Swiderski going down a little bit too easily and how he got a reputation. I think it hurts him and Charlotte FC here in that there is a very, very late foul in the box against Carol Swiderski when a Columbus Crew player clearly goes through the back of Swiderski as he's receiving the ball. It should have been a penalty. Carol Swiderski doesn't get the call, I think, in some small part because Carol Swiderski goes down too easily. But... We have video assistant referee. We have VAR and MLS. It's got to fix those situations. It's got to fix those situations where a Columbus player goes through the back of another player. And it didn't in this case. And it hurts because that, that draw against Columbus is what killed the playoff hopes. Now, we didn't know that other things weren't going our way or anything like that. We needed, that, we needed those points. We needed that penalty to be called according to the laws of the game, and it wasn't. Yeah, I, I think that one thing you point out there is it, is it was unfairly not called. Mm -hmm. um, if you go back and you look at it, it's a penalty. Yeah. Um, and our, our frustrations continue with VAR. VAR is... I, I, I liken VAR to the sword, right? You live by the sword, you die by the sword. VAR is a tool that if used correctly can cut through a lot of the uncertainty and a lot of the chaff and a lot of the, the mistakes that are made in the modern game. Because again, I am livid at them, but these referees are human beings. They're going to make mistakes. And 
I feel like there's been this buildup of like, hey, we have to protect referees. And even if they make the wrong decision, all the everyone else is just going to stand behind them like, hey, that was totally wrong, but it doesn't matter. We're going to say it's right because he's a referee. And VAR has almost taken in that 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 mentality. Yeah. And it's been applied at completely obscure times and it's been not applied at times that it really should be. Yeah. And I, I think that there would be so much more understanding from fans if a referee was willing to go to a monitor when play stopped naturally mm-hmm. and go, hey, I looked at this, I was wrong. Great, we're going to fix it, right? Even if it goes against us, that referee is going to get looked at by the vast majority of fans as somebody who is willing to officiate the game correctly, not be up on their fucking high horse. Yeah. And uh, uh, I don't know that you've ever seen me this mad. Uh, <laughs> it it does eat at me. And Justin, I'm going to bring in uh, really quick just something that I'd like to talk about. Yeah. And that is... There, there is no recourse. There's no. no, there's no talking to these guys. You and I are official MLS media. We are in the media booth with with Lloyd Sam. We are. We have all of the access that anyone can have. And if we were to ask to talk to the referees, we'd get thrown out of the building. Yeah. Um. Violently, like with old fashioned style catapults that launched us over the walls. Uh. There's no way to say, hey, why was nope. this decision made? And more importantly, there's no review. And I'm going to bring up one very critical thing, and then I'm going to maybe let you have one more tack in. And that is, uh, I believe this is in the Chicago match, Justin, the yellow card on oh, McKenzie the Gaines. Oh, the McKenzie Gaines card, yeah. And it's late in the match, and McKenzie Gaines uh, – runs towards an opposing player. And after having been in roughly the same area of the field as that player, Mm -hmm. that player tripped and uh, went down to the ground. And the referee, just with all of the confidence of a literal god, rolled up to Mackenzie Gaines and went, you did something illegal, sir. Yellow card. And... I am not necessarily saying that what that referee saw was wrong. Maybe that referee had a weird angle where it looked like Mackenzie Gaines actually did something. But if you go back and you look at that, I don't even think Mackenzie Gaines touches him. Yeah. I, like If he does, it's the softest of, of baby caress touches. I mean, it's nothing. Uh, it, there are hundreds of thousands of incidents in a football game that have more contact than this. Mackenzie Gaines is literally not touching him. And he just goes down. Yep. And it's thrown out as a yellow card. And here's the thing, because it doesn't necessarily affect that game, although it does change possession. In this instance, players are penalized for an accumulation of yellow cards. If you go in and you look at the MLS website, mls.whateverthehecketis.com. That would be mlssoccer.com. Thank you mlssoccer.com, you can go and you can read the official rules that the uh, referees are apparently supposed to have read. Uh, Maybe they didn't get the memo. (laughs) But in it, it says if a player accumulates three yellow cards over the course of the season, they will be fined money. Yep. And they will be forced to miss a game. And it's over the entire season. This is not over a set number of games or anything like that. 
And there's no review of this. Mackenzie Gaines, in this point in time, a 100% completely innocent man, is now under the threat of being fined money. Yep. And not being allowed to show his skills and potentially further himself in the team because a referee was a dumbass. Yeah. And I want to be clear, because a referee was a dumbass. There's no, like... and there's no there's no VAR review after you you can't VAR review the yellow unless you want to make it a red. Yeah. So there's no taking away the yellow after the fact. There's no appeal process after the match to take away the yellow. And even if it was just a even if it was just a crap ton of paperwork and an appeal process that says, "Hey, we understand what happened in the match. We're not trying to appeal the results. We're just trying to not make this guy because uh, uh, some MLS players get paid a lot of money. Some of them don't. Some of them, this is their first time breaking into professional soccer, and while they make a good amount of money, they're not exactly billionaires. No. They're not Cristiano Ronaldo with, with fuck you money. Yeah. Right? For some of them, this money is being sent back to their home countries to help support their families who are well, struggling. Or, for some of them, this money is being sent to people in this country to help support yeah. their families who are struggling. And... And you are basically just saying, meh, sorry, man, saw that wrong. Hope you don't mind being fined a whole bunch of money for it. <laughs> Have a good day. I'm going to referee you tomorrow, by the way. <laughs> like, I-, I don't get it. Well, and it, it also, you know, when you say, I'm going to referee you tomorrow, you're going to see these officials again. Yep. Are these officials going to have their view of you as a player tainted? Are you going to have your view? One of the worst things you can do as a player is walk into a match and go, this official's not going to look out for me. This official is not going to protect me. This official is going to call who knows what. So I don't have to play for the other guy's safety. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, do you want to have one more point and then we'll get into wrapping this up? So there is one that I think we disagree on, but it's in the second Montreal match. And this is this is an interesting one because... The second goal and the game-winning goal that Montreal scores. A Montreal player who is in an offside position, and I was so heated about this in both the post-match and in the the Wednesday pod after that. But a, a Montreal player in an offside position is directly in front of George Marks. And remember, this is the match where we had to go up to Canada and play with all the second stringers because the MLS said, we don't care how many of your players have COVID, you're still going to play the match. Um, but a, a, a Montreal player has to jump out of the way of the shot for this thing to go in. And the, the rules of the game say, if a player in an offside position blocks the view of the keeper towards a shot, then the goal is offside, the play is offside, and the goal is disallowed. There is no way George Marks can see this shot with the player in the position that he is in, in an offside position, because he is three feet in front of George Marks. And like I said, has to jump out of the way. Otherwise the shot hits him. This should absolutely be ruled offside. And this is just, if you are a professional, this is an obscure application of the offside rule. I know normally offside is real simple. You pass the ball to a guy who was beyond the last defender. It's offside. Technically there have to be two defenders. Well, yes, usually you ignore the the keeper counts as one. Yeah. But, This is a relatively obscure version of the offside rule. But you're a professional official. This is what you're fucking paid to do. 
you are paid to know the fucking rules of the game. And this is a clear violation of those rules. And you still allow the goal. And, and it's times like that. It's times where I see that in inaccurate application of the rule where I go back, I mentioned it in some of our podcasts earlier in the season, Cam Newton was roughed a couple of years ago and the official explained to him why he didn't get the call. He said, you're too young to get that call. And there were times this season as a Charlotte FC fan where it was very difficult to not say, we're not getting that call because we're the fucking expansion team and they're giving it to the teams that have been around longer and they're screwing us over because we're not getting the national attention. So half of this I'm going to actually agree with and half of this I'm not going to agree with. And I wonder if you know which one's which. <laughs> um, uh, I'm not going to lie. I've gone back and I've seen the Montreal goal again. And as time has passed, I have been swayed more to your argument than against it. Um, I don't think it was an intentional blocking of the no, goalkeeper. Doesn't have to be intentional. I think it was, in- it was incidental, but you're correct. It doesn't have to be intentional. It is still a, a violation of the rules and probably should be called off. There are three officials. Yeah. Um, and, and a fourth in the VAR booth. Uh, the VAR van that's out there somewhere. We're convinced there's a beat up little white van that's selling kids candy. Um, that's where the VAR guy lives, wherever <laughs> he is. Um, boy, it'd be great if we knew who the VAR official was or, you know, had some ability to understand what they were doing, but we don't. Uh, no, the, uh, the actual call itself, I am more towards your side now that I do believe it, it, probably is an application of the offside rule that needs to be called. And if one guy doesn't think of it, he should be able to look with the other guys and go, when one of them, sh- one of the three yes. should go, hey, what about this application of the rule? And he should go, oh, you're right. I have read that. This goal is disallowed. To the other side, and this is going to be sort of my beginning of the wrap-up, and that is going to be, I have been... disgusted (laughs) is probably a great way to say it with some of the application of the rules of football in the MLS. It has been atrocious. It has been ugly. It has been damaging to the league. It has been dangerous to some of its players. And I now understand why the highest caliber talent in the world does not want to come to MLS until they're 34 because <laughs> they're afraid they're going to get absolutely taken out and the referee's going to go, uh, uh, sorry, I was eating my peanuts. I didn't see anything, right? Uh, I, I understand that now. But what I have not seen, and this is to the, the I can't believe I'm going to say this, this is to the credit of the referees because, you know, this is not us you know, heat of the moment. This is us actually thinking about what has gone one way or the other. To the credit of the referees, I have not seen favoritism. Mm. So uh, I know it can look like that. I know that, you know, games go one way or the others, but we, we have this survivorship bias of when things, when calls do sort of go our way, we go a bit lucky to get that one, but we deserved it because we've gotten so many crappy ones and then we forget about that one forever. And then we remember all the crappy ones. And as I have done my my best to sort of look back over the league, I don't think there has been an egregious amount of bad calls 
towards Charlotte FC versus other people. I think that there have been an egregious amount of bad calls that have been scattered across everyone and have been scattered across each team each way. And, uh, and what I mean by that is not that we should be forgiving the referees because I do think we need to demand better of them for the sake of this uh, league's health and for the sake of the health of the players. But I... The actual term disinterested does not mean that you are uninterested in something. It means that you do not have an interest in its outcome. The referees, to me, have actually been disinterested in the game. The problem, to me, is that they have also been uninterested in applying the rules of the game. <laughs> so uh, I, I hope that's made sense. Justin, do you want to say anything on that before we finally wrap it up? Uh, look, I think most of the Charlotte FC fans that are listening right now will agree with me that we have gotten screwed over hard by the officials, and uh, there's no other way to look at it. And uh, the, the officials should all uh, retire immediately. We should get new officials that are going to call things Charlotte FC's way going forward. From this point, from this point yes. in time, the only way this is fair is Charlotte FC never makes any fouls. Yes. And the moment in Absolutely. time anyone tackles us, it's an immediate red card. Uh, I, I do think that yeah. that is the way football should be officiated, uh, and we will transition over to the Premier League where Arsenal gets that benefit. And you'll <laughs> definitely agree with me there. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to start to wrap it up there. Uh, final thoughts. You get 30 seconds. Oh, um, just officiating's real bad. Um, also real quick on, on team new stuff. Uh, we are, it looks like maybe saying goodbye to Christian Fuchs and Harrison awful. Wish them both the best. Um, I think for the health of the squad, it's, it may be for the best that they, they may be at the door, but, uh, great servants for the club. Really, uh, sad to see them, you know, probably at this point move out of the playing phase of their career. So wish them the best. All right. As ever, if you have spent your time listening to this, if you are one of our listeners for this a little bit obscure and a little bit heated one, we love you. Thank you so much for spending our time or spending your time with us, not our time with you, although that does kind of work too. And uh, we will talk to you again next Wednesday where we start to go into our discussions of who we should keep on the squad, who we should sell, and who we should hold on and see if their talent develops a little longer. Thank you all and goodbye. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Network.com.